that's got it I mean uh, that's that's one thing we are on, on this show if nothing else we are professionals about audio <laughs> because it's not as though this conversation that we're having right now is arising from us maybe being less than professional about audio in the past no no that's that's not what happened uh, I, I, which, of course, I can assure our listeners is merely an artifact of uh, hallowed antiquity uh, and not something that currently affects the production staff of Trash Future, the podcast for how the future is trash. But this is Bonus Future, the podcast about how the future uh, sometimes gets released as an addendum to a previous episode. I am... Joined now by uh, Neve McIntyre, uh, journalist who was on our uh, President's Club episode, um, I, who I invite to say hello now. Hey, hey. How's it going? Thanks for having me back again for even more content. If there's one, if there's one thing I've learned, uh, it's that the, the, the content really does never sleep. You do have to keep putting it out. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and then... When you die, whoever has the most content wins. How how much content do you reckon you've got at the moment? Do tweets count as content? Yeah, yeah, I reckon so. Good ones. Uh, I I do not I do not have much content. <laughs> My tweets are rife with misspellings, and at the time of recording, every third tweet I do. Um, is a request for a tracksuit. <laughs> okay, someone, um, yeah. Oh, hence your new Twitter name. Yeah, someone buy, please buy Riles a tracksuit. And hence my pinned tweet, which contains a link to an Amazon wish list in which there is... I'm not going to buy you a tracksuit, I'm sorry. Okay, well, this interview is over. <laughs> the tracksuit is so I can podcast at maximum efficiency and I can game harder than ever. Right, um, that, that sounds like noble endeavor uh, earlier i did i did sort of suggest there was going to be some casting back of minds into hallowed antiquity and we are casting our minds back into several weeks ago which i it feels a lot longer yeah yeah it does i've been on holiday between now and then so it feels ages ages away <laughs> you're lucky enough to have been on holiday the rest of us have been here with the fucking news cycle <laughs> like just like what three three weeks ago what there was a there's a president, there was a club elected a president. What happened? Ah, sorry, we're, we're dealing with all the fires that are currently here. <laughs> um, but uh, we were sort of, so for those uh, not familiar, uh, Neve was on our President's Club episode, the audio, gob the audio goblins gobbled it up. Um, but we sort of figured that it would be, it wasn't enough just to spend, um, the entire uh, uh, episode, you know, making fun of Brandon O'Neill, as as fun as that genuinely is, um, but to actually talk about some, of, to actually get the real point of view on what was actually going on there, and and why, how sort of rife, uh, sort of like sexual assault is 
in the sort of gigged service industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and your article on this was, I think, quite sort of quite sort of succinct and high quality and all this. And so I was sort of very keen to uh, redo this talk, this chat. So can you remind our listeners exactly what kind of event it is that we're talking about? What is this uh, President's Club? Uh, like a old boys um, kind of Victorian paternalist charity type auction thing where you bid for terrible things like surgery for your wife haha um for good causes yeah really good good banter from the presidents um and (laughs) every single president and um part of the draw for the event is uh young attractive um waitresses who haven't really been given um, all the details about what the event is and are put in a kind of really dangerous position in lots of ways in terms of the actual contractual nature of their work by signing a NDA or the fact that it's, it's zero hours and there's just not really any kind of institutional sort of accountability structures there um down to the fact that on the night the girls weren't allowed to have their phones um so obviously it transpired that a lot of them were harassed and assaulted in that um event i mean i'm I'm, i I have your article up here it says the staff on the night uh were completely violated told to wear skimpy black outfits by their agency before being groped, sexually harassed, and propositioned. Um, but to really confront the exploitation of young women, we have to look a little bit closer to home than the bullying and baddies, so these, you know, sort of walrus-like Tory grandees covered in hair grease and gold rings uh, of pop mythology. Like you say, um, these guys are very um, pantomime and they've... They're very um, easy to hate, but the problem within the President's Club and the problem with the kind of um, stories about assault and harassment that are coming out as part of the Me Too movement are only partly explained by the behaviours of individual perpetrators um and it it would be much more effective to examine the power structures in which these things happen uh and that doesn't just happen at like fancy dining societies in mayfair it happens all the time in you know your high street pub um or wherever because employees fundamentally don't have the collective power to meaningfully um, deal with instances of assault. Um, so in this case, the girls who worked at the event and the the kind of events that I used to do that were along these kind of lines, um, we were all on zero hours and that meant that we were instantly disposable and... Um, and there was a constant 
reminder of like how how disposable you were. So if you kind of complained or kicked up a fuss about something like this, um, it was kind of like strongly strongly implied that you could be fired. Um, and that's because because of the nature of this precarious work, there aren't any of the kind of, um, yeah, traditional accountability structures that you would get in a more formalized workplace. Yeah, you use the word impunity here. You say yeah, powerful men believe they were acting with impunity while women knew they risked losing their pay or their job if they complained. There's, there's, there's such a power imbalance between um, the rich men that um, attend these kind of events who... Um, have have access to you know lawyers and feel comfortable um negotiating those kind of systems whereas um these are like low paid workers who aren't unionized or um otherwise kind of empowered to take action against against men like that so it really sort of speaks to uh, i think something that comes up again and again is that these the systems of laws and contracts that sort of govern worker relationships, especially in casualized employment. Every time we talk about these on the show, it sort of comes back down to the idea that these protections can't really be used by anyone except those who can afford to access them. You know, the um, the Tory grandee who you know, grabs your ass at the president's club, he can protect himself very effectively from what otherwise might be a very legitimate complaint simply because he can bury you in lawyers. Right, yeah, and I guess yeah, you saw that um, when the the government um, introduced employment tribunal fees over here, which has now since been overturned. But yeah, that was a super clear example of um, there being like a very high cost barrier for entry into those kind of like official official channels. But even then, you, it would be, I imagine it would be very difficult to get a labor tribunal going because the work is so casualized and people are so desperate oh, for sure. yeah. that they'll just, that they'll just, if you say you don't, you're not comfortable being, you know, um, being treated like this, they'll just find someone who is. Yeah. Or someone, in the case of the President's Club, it seems like someone who doesn't know what to expect. There's um, a highly transient and highly replaceable workforce. Um is going to be in a super dangerous position. Uh, and then also, I guess, in kind of, in casualised work where there's some form of um, a rating system or whatever for your service is kind of another way of, of cementing that imbalance because then you're, you know, kind of relying on someone to say that your service has been of a certain level for your, to continue to um, keep working there. So there's, even greater kind of disincentive for complaining about somebody being freak. And I get this is, I think, a a liberal canard that we kind of deal with relatively and disprove relatively frequently. In fact, almost in every episode, especially when we talk about labor, which is the idea that that in 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 society now most economic activity takes place between sort of freely consenting partners agreeing to do business not under duress is an utter fucking fiction um that every every interaction whether it's between the staff and the um 
and and the agency or the staff and the people they're serving is highly coerced. Definitely, definitely my experience of this kind of work. Um, and then I guess it's interesting then, like the uh, in the sort of um, days and weeks that followed the president's club, there was um, a lot of the debate became kind of a an anti-sex work kind of um, thing about how, yeah, how, like, sex workers were, like, routinely coerced into doing these terrible things. And then, like you say, it's like, yeah, all, all of this kind of shitty, badly paid work is coercive, but it's kind of a, a singular and also very liberal um, aversion to to sex work which they see as coercive as opposed to all other forms of precarious work fucking libs the libs (laughs) in this gig economy i'll never make enough to own the libs i can only rent the libs um i know thank you thank you um so you you mentioned earlier that you have some so, so this is your experience so can you talk a little more about your experience of working in these these kinds of uh, jobs. I know you say in your uh, article that you, you were an abysmal waitress. Yeah, no, for real. I was so bad. Um, I'm like a bit dyspraxic and I have really bad spatial awareness. And um, you often have to carry a lot of fragile things on these jobs. And I'm not good at carrying <laughs> fragile things. Um, I'll, 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 if I, I'll, I'll share now. I worked at a pub for two shifts before I was asked to not work there anymore. Um, and the first time I ever took a card payment, uh, I sort of did it so overzealously that, uh, using the card, I missed the slot, um, and, uh, then pushed the card machine out of my hand and broke it. Wow. That is, uh, that's pretty impressive. Card payment number one. They're not that. Number one. <laughs> Yeah, see, I, like, I, I, I smashed a good few champagne flutes in my time, but like a card machine is quite hard to, quite hard to smash. That's quite, yeah, a skill. Okay, sorry, I've, 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 I have interjected. Um, yeah, so if we could talk a little more about your experiences of this kind of work and being an abysmal waitress, like an, an abysmal but sexy waitress. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what's on my CV. Holy shit, that's definitely my CV now as well. Abysmal and sexy. <laughs> Like like a hot Beelzebub, <laughs> like a thick as shit devil. Um, yeah, so so like I used to, I when I was at university would do waitressing jobs because you could um, fit it around degree stuff quite easily. Uh, but then through doing standard agency catering jobs, someone told me about. Um, these ones that you could do uh, if they deemed that you were attractive enough and they paid much, much better. Um, it was like the difference between minimum wage, which at the time was like £6.20 or something, and like 10 10 11 sometimes £12 an hour, which was, you know, like nearly double, so it was... It seemed worth it. Um, But, yeah, they were often... So, and then you would, like, um, every every job, you had to send a photo of yourself, which presumably 
went to somebody on the client side to see whether you fitted the like aesthetic of that event or whatever and um you it was they got paid way more it was a lot harder because you had to wear high heels which are really uncomfortable uh and <laughs> you especially when you're an abysmal sexy waitress and <laughs> then um yeah they they were often um full of uh very entitled um and well-paid dicks <laughs> um who I, I yeah i guess i was i was reasonably lucky i never really experienced um anything really uh, really terrible on the same level as some of the stuff that came out about the President's Club. But um, yeah, I talked about it in my article once when I'd finished a shift and um, three guys came over to me and wanted to continue the party and I had been working for like 13 hours and really did not want to continue the party and one of them kind of basically squared up to me and spat in my face and it was really horrible. Uh, but like it didn't even because you have a different manager on every job basically and you don't really have any kind of meaningful senior person within the agency it's just an anonymous like email address who sends you to your jobs it just didn't even like occur to me to tell anyone about it because you just have so little sense of of human contact is just so anonymized and depersonalized that I couldn't I couldn't even think of a single person that I could have told which um yeah which obviously also plays into the whole precarious and transient kind of vibe but um so yeah and then after a few more jobs I um I just got another job because I was able to but obviously lots of other people I yeah I, it was it's a big privilege that I didn't have to just, like continue doing the work that I found kind of gross and um boring when what's really sort of astonishing especially with oh it's not no you know sorry you know what it's actually it's not it's regrettably not astonishing um it's upsetting but it's not astonishing is that sort of in your in your article, you say, you know, since the story broke, men have been scraping their jaws off the floor and being mortified all over social media. And that essentially it feels and like from what you're telling me, it's just people don't really know this stuff is going on and almost can't believe it. I think, yeah, if you've if you've worked in hospitality, like, you know, that this this goes on all the time. And I don't know. I actually think uh, so I, I'm not sure, like how kind of. um how how genuine sometimes the the shock that people are expressing i think i think a lot of a lot of people do know that uh, this is going on in their workplace or in their friendship groups or whatever but um we often kind of use shock and indignation as a way of absolving ourselves from thinking about you know ways in which we're kind of our, our behaviours are in any way complicit in in these kind of cultures. Um, so yeah, sometimes I think the the shock can be a bit disingenuous. Well, it's 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 defensive, right? Yeah, I think that makes. I mean, again, 
that makes regrettable sense. It's why, you know, it's, it's why I say it's, is why I've sort of corrected myself earlier. I'm, 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 it's, it's, you, you're not astonished because of course, you know, of course that's what people would, would, would want to, uh, would want to put together. They'd, they'd want to put that together for them. So they want to put together events where they can just sort of enjoy the impunity that they seem to have and they want to enjoy it in every possible way. Um, and they want to do it in, these people live a life without consequences. And the other thing that, again, is not surprising, but utterly regrettable is that it's completely dropped off the news cycle at this point. Like, I don't, I, th- I think I, a couple people might have lost jobs, but other than that, you know, the impunities that you, that sort of you describe and so on is, is still there. Mm. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there was, yeah, I remember there was about one um, one day where there was calls for like that Tory minister to resign. I can't, I can't remember his name now. He's not even a minister. He's someone quite junior. And then, MP, I think. yeah, oh, yeah, I forget his name. But um, and then there was a couple of like bad headlines, and now he's obviously still in his job because he left he left early that's the main thing he he let he went and thought it was terrible and he left early and he was shocked at what he saw oh yeah that's that's what i find hilarious is that i don't understand how this party was even going everyone just left as soon as they got there <laughs> yeah no that's exactly yeah there was only there's only two people left by yeah, oh, well, i i would never do such a thing i'm i'm an upstanding I'm an upstanding guy. I I didn't abuse anyone. I only voted in 2013 to reveal repeal section 40 of the Equality Act which places a legal duty on employers to protect their employees from abuse by third-party clients. And that's that's the thing. It's like sort of having these sort of formal protections from abuse from against third-party clients and so on is one thing, but without recognizing the sort of incredible unequal access to justice that we're dealing with, something like that only goes so far. Right. You know, yeah. if you have if you have a legal recourse, right? Like you can use it if you can use it. You can use it if you don't really need the job, but yeah, if unless you're like yeah, so as you, unless you're as you were saying, you know, act basically economically empowered enough to like be able to say no, then you know it's it's as coercive as anything. It's just coercion with the kind of respectable veneer of um, a contractual consent sort of slapped on top of it. And that's that's like where um, unionization comes in, and like. Having having the sense of collective power, um, which and I think there are some some sort of the the newer unions like um, United Voice of the World um, and IWGB have been doing a lot of really good work um, on unionising kind of um, gig economy or or outsourced workers. And I think what yeah what, what you're saying about you know these channels might exist, but unless you have the capacity and the um time and the money to kind of pursue them um that you see that a lot with when there have been court cases around um kind of gig gig economy work um the judges often rule that actually gig economy workers do have um 
the same rights, like, say, the right to a minimum wage that um, employees do, but it's just the fact, yeah, that, you know, there's it needs an incredible amount of kind of labour and capacity and, and knowledge to pursue those avenues. So, yeah, I think that that um, that gap is definitely definitely a really important part of the the problem i think the uh it's it's not controversial at least among our audience to say unionize fucking everything <laughs> yeah for sure and on that note uh i just want to say thank you neve for bearing with how shitty we are at audio and uh coming back on to explain uh if you like the more sort of actually informative end of our President's Club discussion from a couple weeks ago. Cool. No, thanks a lot for re-having me. Uh, all right. Um, Neve, thank you. And to our audience, later. <laughs> <laughs>